0: Well, today we're gonna continue our series called Don't Stop Now. Over these last few weeks as a church family, we've been studying the Old Testament book of Haggai together. I pray that God has been speaking to you over these first few messages in this series. And today we're gonna come to the end of chapter one and we're gonna look at quite a controversial subject. It's almost like the elephant in most church rooms that's not often discussed, but it's always there in every church. And as we look at this subject today, I pray that God will help us that God will give us wisdom, and that God will minister even into this situation. And we're going to dive right into this message today, and we're going to begin reading from Haggai chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. It says this, So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, Lord of Heaven's armies on September the 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign. Just a bit of a recap of what's happened to the people of God. The people of God had disobeyed God and so God allowed an empire to rise up and and to, to overthrow them and to bring about ruin in their lives because they'd wandered away from God. They were worshiping other gods and the Babylonian empire rises up and destroys the Holy Land, Jerusalem, destroys the people of God's homes and And they destroy the temple of God, the place of worship where it represented the presence of God, where God's presence dwelt amongst his people at this time. And the Babylonians take the people of God into exile. And they're in exile for 70 years, just as Jeremiah prophesied would happen. But then after the end of the 70 years, we see that there's a new empire on the scene. The Persian Empire rises up and the king at that time of Persia, we see King Cyrus, he's moved by God. To allow God's people to go back to their homeland and rebuild the temple and rebuild their lives. And so they do. The people, a small remnant, 50,000 Jewish people, head back to Jerusalem to rebuild their lives. And everything is in ruins, but they're excited. God was with them. God had answered their prayers. and, And now they have an opportunity to rebuild their lives. And the first thing they do is build an altar to the Lord. To worship the Lord and thank Him for His goodness and His faithfulness. Thank Him for his protection and then we see that they begin to work on rebuilding the temple of God, the place of worship which lay in the ruins. So they rebuild the foundations and everybody's excited but then they begin to face opposition. Opposition within, opposition without. They lose their passion for the Lord, their love for the Lord and the house of the Lord and then there's opposition from other people, other groups of people who settled in the land of Judah and Jerusalem at that time. And these other people, they didn't want the Jewish people rebuilding the temple. So they sent a letter to the king at that time, King Artaxerxes, to get the Jews to stop rebuilding the place of worship. And so work on rebuilding the temple comes to a standstill for 15 years. Nothing happens. But this is where God steps in. And God always completes what he starts. God finishes what he begins. And we see that God, he raises up this young man, this man called Haggai, this prophet of God, this man who loved God. And he gives Haggai a message to encourage his people to get back to work. And so Haggai encourages the people and delivers this message to the people of God. But the people of God say, actually, Haggai, it's not the right time to build. They begin to make all these excuses. And the reason for that is their priorities had shifted. They had put themselves first instead of putting God first. And so As a result of that, you know, nothing was successful for them. They were trying to plant and harvest and grow crops and they were trying to build lovely homes for themselves, but it just didn't work out because they had their priorities wrong. So God gives Haggai another message and says, look, consider your ways. Repent, get back to rebuilding the temple of God. Put God first again in your life. And so the people respond to that call and, and they begin to obey the Lord. They begin to obey the message of the Lord. They They have this fear of the Lord, this respect for the Lord. And then, as we've seen last time, God does something incredible. In verse 14, we read how God sparks the enthusiasm of everybody. Zerubbabel, the governor, Jeshua, the high priest, and all the people. These people who were in spiritual ruins, all of a sudden, they were now revived by the Spirit of God. They had a fresh love, a fresh passion for God, for the house of God, for the work of God the Lord. It's incredible scenes, what God does in the hearts of his people. He takes them from ruins to revival. But we see something incredible continue in this moment. Not only does God give his people this fresh encouragement, this fresh passion for the Lord, but this fresh passion, it moves God's people into action. And that's what God wants. God doesn't want us just revive us so we'd have a nice feeling, but God wants to revive us. So we would carry out his work, carry out his mission. And we'll read again verse 14 to 15 of Haggai 1. It says, So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies, on September the 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign all of God's people begin to work on the house of the Lord together. You know, I heard this story recently. It was a story about a young church leader, a young church pastor. He was enthusiastic about this call that he had received from the Lord to to carry out the work of God. And he was excited about all that lay ahead. He was the pastor of a traditional church, but he wanted to move the church forward. He was excited about the vision and the dreams that God had laid on his heart for that church. However, he faced some opposition uh, to his plans and to the vision that God had given him. Unfortunately, the difficulties and the opposition, it didn't come from outside the church, but it actually came from within the church in the form of the older generation. It came to a tipping point on one Sunday morning. This pastor's heart was to transition the Sunday morning service. He recognized that the services were outdated and they weren't reaching people. Uh, so th- he tried over a number of months to change the service. He updated the worship, updated the deco. He even tried to change his preaching style so that he could reach people with the good news of Jesus. He tried to have a more modern atmosphere, this young pastor. But you know, unfortunately, we see that something terrible happens next. They were in the middle of worship. one Sunday morning and the first song in worship had just finished when this young pastor he felt a tap on his shoulder it was an older gentleman who was actually part of the the trustees he was on the board within the church and he signaled to the pastor to go and meet him down in the foyer in the welcome area this older man this obviously this younger pastor didn't know what the older gentleman wanted but this older gentleman when they get down into the fire, he gets right close up into this young pastor's face and he demanded this young pastor to tell his worship team mid-worship to stop singing all these modern songs, to stop introducing newer songs to the congregation and to turn the volume of all the instruments down. Now, unfortunately, these pa- this pastor, he had heard comments like this regularly even in the 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 uh, weeks building up to this from the from the older generation they've been complaining about the changes that were taking place and this younger pastor he told this older gentleman who was on the board he said look unfortunately we're halfway through worship we can't do it right in this moment you know we'll we'll try and rectify the issue next time you know everything had started the sound was already set up so it's impossible next we see The volcanic moment from this old gentleman, old gentleman. He pointed in the young pastor's face and said, You're going to run the old people off. After all, these older people are the ones who are paying the tithes and who are paying the bills. You need to cater to the older generation, primarily here. Now, the young pastor, he was furious and he pointed back to the older gentleman and he said, Look around, tell me how many people. Here, who are under 60, you know, he said, if we don't change as a church, if we don't change as a congregation, then in three years' time, this church is going to become a block of flats or takeaway restaurant. Now, unfortunately, I'd like to say that the things were reconciled in that moment, that they both began to see eye to eye, but unfortunately, they both were furious and they both stormed off in that moment. What happens next is unfortunate and it's horrible and sad. These these two people, these two guys, they never resolved their issues. They both eventually transitioned out to their roles within the church, and they both left the church. Now, I'd like to say today that that is just an isolated case, that we've never seen generations clash within church life. But unfortunately, it is the norm. We see that there is a, a generational conflict within the house of God, within the church, In many churches up and down the UK, up and down Wales, right across the world, there is this generation gap that's forming, this generational conflict. And every church faces it, including our church here. We faced it in the past. It's it's the young people versus the old people. It's the unspoken elephant in the room. I'm sure you're aware of it if you've been a church. The young people versus the old people. Old school versus new school. And you know, this conflict... Between the generations, it's usually over just one thing. I know there might be things from this, but it stems from one thing, and that is method. How we do things as a church. That's what the arguments always come over. These two generations always fighting about how we do church, how we minister to people. You know, the older people. They think that they have the right way of doing things, the proper way of doing things, the holy way of doing things, while the young people think that the older people are irrelevant, that church is boring that way, it's dated and will never reach people today. Whilst the younger generation, on the other hand, they think that their way of doing church is the right way. They think it's fresh, they think it's dynamic, they think it's relevant. Whilst the older people think that the younger people's way of doing church is irreverent, it's insensitive, and it's just one Big show it's one big performance. We see that there's always this argument over method, traditional versus modern, and people within church life have been arguing this for centuries. For centuries, every church struggles with this, including ours. You know I've seen older people argue with younger people. I've seen there be tensions over the way that we do things as a church. I've seen older people hurt because things are changing too quickly for them and they're afraid to let go of the way that they like to worship, the style of worship and the style of things within the building and I've also seen unfortunately younger people hurt and even leave church because they're looked down upon and not given an opportunity within church life to carry out what God was calling them to do. Their opinion isn't valued You know, if I'm being honest, this is one of the biggest tensions that I faced as a young pastor of our church. You know, I've grown up in this church all my life. I, I understand our past. I'm connected to our past. I get it within our church, but it is still this tension as even I've tried to move things forward a little bit because things have got to move forward. We've got to change and reach people at our times. Jesus also, you know, he shows us this, that he reached people at his time with with stories and parables that were relevant to the people of that day. And I believe as a church, we've got to move forward as well. Not forsaking the past, however, but, you know, this is one of the, the biggest tensions that I face. It's, it's the elephant in the room that's not often spoken about, you know, the older people. They want us to keep, uh, uh, keep doing church the way that we've always done it, whilst the younger people are always looking to move forward and become more modern, move with the times. But, you know, this issue... Over method and style. It always causes arguments. It always causes hurt and even division. And you know, the result of that is a world that's looking at the church and saying that we don't want to be any part of that nonsense. We don't want to be part of any of that. We don't want to be a part of a dividing church, a church that's arguing. There's enough division in the world and hurt and arguments in the world. It shouldn't be happening in the church. And the world is saying we don't want to get caught up in all of that nonsense. It's a major, major issue, this generational conflict. So can this issue be resolved? You know, I began to ask the Lord that question, even as I was preparing for this message. And it's been something I've been asking the Lord to to give me wisdom and direction. on. even as my time as a pastor here at this church, can this generational conflict, this generational gap, can it be resolved? Is there a solution for this within churches and within ministries? And I believe that there is. There is a solution. And and the solution is actually found here in this little Old Testament book of Haggai at the end of chapter 1. The solution to this problem is found here in these last two verses. We'll read it again, Haggai 1 verse 14 to 15. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua son of Jehoshadak the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of the Lord their God, the Lord of heaven's armies on September 21st, the second year of King Darius's reign. God stirs the spirit, a spirit of all the people, not just the older people, not just those in authority, but he stirs the heart of every person, the high priest, the governor of the whole remnant of God's people. And what God does is something incredible. God unites these generations, unites all of these people together by focusing them on the mission at hand. You know, there could have been tensions here in this moment. You know, the younger people and the Levites who we've looked at in Ezra who were taking the lead on rebuilding the temple of God. You know, there could have been arguments over the way that they were building things because the older generation, some of them were probably still there and would have remembered Solomon's temple and the way it looked, the way it was built. I'm sure there were skilled tradesmen there as well who were able to build us and I'm sure there could have been arguments that rose about the way that they did things, how things were to be built, where each thing went. I'm sure there could have been arguments about that that could have led to division and could have led, led to the work on the temple coming to a standstill yet again. But God stirs the heart of his people to not focus on the method, but he gets his people to focus on the mission at hand. God wasn't concerned about how the way th- how things were going to get done. All he was interested in was that the place of worship was rebuilt so the people could come together to worship him. He wasn't interested in style or anything like that. He just wanted the people to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And um, we see here that God stirs their heart. They have this passion, all of them, every single one of them, from the youngest to the oldest, get involved in rebuilding the temple of God. God gets them to stop focusing on the method and start focusing on, on the mission at hand and I believe that is the solution to the generational conflict within churches today. I believe that is the solution. To stop arguing over method about how things are done and how we want things done, tradition versus modern, it's not about how we want to get things done. We must remember that it is God's work that we are carrying out. And we are called to focus on his mission that he has given us. It's time to start, start focusing on method. Yes, we have to update things, but stop focusing on that. And let's start focusing on the mission of God. You know, we spend so much time arguing over like over the colour of paint, over different chairs that we want in the building, whether there's flowers in the building. We argue over what songs we should sing, what instruments we should include on the worship team. We argue over the style of preaching. We argue about how many services we should have that we should have the 10 o'clock and the 6 o'clock because that's the way we've always done things. We should argue, we argue about all these silly things and we forget that we've got family members, we've got friends, we've got work colleagues, people in our communities, people in our society who are going to a lost eternity. People who are going to hell unless they hear the good news of Jesus. And I believe it's time for us as the church today to stop focusing on the method and start focusing on the mission. Jesus is coming again. The world is broken and they need hope. They need good news. And we have that good news as the people of God. It is the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came to this earth because of his love to reconcile man to God. He died and rose again so all humanity could know him, could spend eternity with him in heaven. So we could know God and and carry out his mission here on this earth. You know, we need to stop focusing on all that nonsense and start focusing on the mission of Jesus again. And what is that mission As I said already, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, Jesus tells us clearly his mission for you and me, his church, his disciples. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. You know, the mission of God can be summed up in our new mission statement that I shared with our congregation at the end of last year. The mission of God can be summed up like this, to love God, to love people and make disciples. That is what God is calling us to do. He wants us to know Jesus, to make him known. You know, our mission is to see hell emptied and heaven populated, as Reinhard Bonnke said, and it's time to keep the main thing the main thing, the mission of God. And my prayer for us as a church, as we move forward into everything, into all that God has for us, my prayer for us as a church in everything, in every ministry, my prayer for us as a church, in every single program that we run, is that we will be mission focused instead of method focused. That we wouldn't get caught up with a method. Yes, it's important to look at it, but we wouldn't let that be the main thing. We would always filter everything through the mission of God. You know, when we begin to do that, we'll see God's blessing. We'll know God's help. We'll know God's provision. We'll see answers to prayer. And ultimately, we'll see that glorious future that God has promised us come to pass. We'll see people finding Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you know, I believe as we come to a conclusion today, there is an invitation from heaven to every son and daughter of this house of Gateway Church coming. There is an invitation to you and me today to be a part of the mission of god god wants to use you god is calling you he wants to use you to be a part of to be his hands and feet and to be a part of his mission in reaching this world for Jesus. God hasn't just called older people or younger people. And God hasn't just called those in authority, like Jeshua, who is the high priest, and Jehoshaphat, and we see the, there's Zerubbabel, who's the governor at that time. God hasn't called just pastors and leaders. He's called each and every one of us. It is all of our mission. If you're a follower of Jesus, then your call, just like mine, is to make disciples, to preach the good news and make disciples. And, you know, you have a part to play here a Gateway Church Cymru. Maybe you're watching this today, and maybe you've been hurt in the past because of generational conflict, because of the way things have been done. Maybe somebody has hurt you and you feel upset and you feel like, you know, I can't move forward anymore. I don't wanna be involved anymore. You know, I've been hurt because of what some, somebody has done to me in the past about these sorts of things. You know, today, I can't uh, I can't rewind time. You know, I, can't, I can only apologize and say I'm sorry that, that you were hurt by that in the past. But I wanna encourage you today, don't let that hurt define your future. Don't let that hurt. Define your walk with the Lord. God still has a plan. God still has a purpose for your life. God still wants to use you here, even in this church. I believe that God's not finished with you yet. And I believe that God's not finished with us As a church yet, we're seeing God answering prayer. We're seeing salvation. We're seeing people come to know Jesus on a on a regular basis here in our church. People, God's answering prayer, God is moving in our midst. People are having a fresh love for Jesus. God is not finished with this church. The best days are ahead of us. But you know, I believe the Lord wants to encourage us at this time. Let's not get caught up with the method, but let's start focusing on the mission of God. And you know, in the words of that high school musical song, we're all in this together. Every single one of us, we all have a part to play. Let's move forward into the glorious future that God has for us. And in the words of Nehemiah, I believe the call and the challenge of God to each and every one of us today is, let us rise up together and let us build the house of God for the glory of God. And I believe we'll see God do great things in our midst. And I believe you'll see God do something great even in your life, amen.